Hello, and welcome to The Debrief, live. I'm Angus Scott. Well, you can forget your Manchester derby, because North London is the place to be right now. Ten games into the season, Tottenham unbeaten, Arsenal unbeaten. Are they unbeatable? Either of them, or even both of them. The Emirates may have been expecting this. The Tottenham Hotspur Stadium wasn't. And don't try and tell me it was, especially after the sale of Harry Kane to Bayern. Well, let's get behind the scenes of their success stories today here on The Debrief. And one of our success stories is Ben Jacobs, always in the winner's enclosure. Hello, Ben. Good to be here. You've billed me up and thank you for that. But I need to start by saying Bristol City have sacked the Leicester legend Nigel Pearson. And I'm disappointed in that news, as I'm sure you are. Uh, well, I, I am actually. Um, I think you have a... I don't, you know, we don't need to go into it in depth, but I'm, I was a big fan of Nigel. He was on a project and uh, we gave him a lot of time and it just seems a little bit strange now to get rid of him. I think he was slightly frustrated. There seems to be a void at the top of our club. Anyway, that's that's my sad news from the weekend. Um, not that that will interest too many people outside BS3. Anyway, North London's finest is also here in the shape of CBS correspondent James Benj. Some call him Mr. Arsenal. We call him Benj. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, you, I'm just relieved you're not, just relieved you're not going to ask me about Bristol City because I've, um, I've had my head in the sand about that one a little bit, which I know that Mr. Pearson would not prove of. <laughs> no, he well, he might do now. Everyone, it's, it's like the hierarchy at the club. I think they've had their head in the sand. Um, the only connection I can think of at the moment was the fact that Eddie and Ketia was meant to be sitting down for a press conference two summers ago. And never turned up for well. that press conference, and and instead went up to to Leeds on loan, and we were we were a little bit miffed. And, yeah, we know um, it happened twice actually, and he he then nearly joined them in January, and and Bristol City thought that was in the bag, and then Mikel Arteta said, "I quite like this guy, I'm going to keep him around." Yeah, yeah, which which was a shame. But what is interesting, and this is uh, one of those super links. Um, that, don't forget, Fabrizio Romano will be here very shortly with some important news on the aforementioned Eddie and Ketia. We'll also have a little bit on Ben White's status at the Emirates and also the possibility of Santi Jimenez turning up at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So all that is coming up. Stay with us here on The Debrief for that as Fabrizio joins us as he does every single week. Your questions are welcome too. So drop them in via the comments section. So let's return to our topic of the day. It is Arsenal and Tottenham. It's North London success story. Two unbeaten sides, but two very different projects, Ben. Indeed, I think from Arsenal's point of view, the fact that they're unbeaten at the moment is no massive surprise. They did extremely well to protect that unbeaten record with a draw at Chelsea. They thrashed Sheffield United 5-0 at the weekend. Eddie Nketiah scored his first Premier League hat-trick. But for Mikel Arteta, it's been 8th, 8th, 5th, 2nd. So logically, in your 5th season, it 
suggests if your project is moving in the right direction, you are going to be able to compete for trophies, including the Premier League. And what we know with Mikel Arteta is that his man management style has been applauded by those close to him. He's managed to tie down, crucially, some key contract extensions. And Arsenal spent big on top of that during the last summer window, including Declan Rice and Kai Havertz. And when Jurian Timber is fit and returns, he's going to be big as well. And then there's sort of some underrated players, in my opinion, like Jakob Kirior, who played against Sheffield United and is an excellent prospect and someone that adds depth. So Arsenal's project is moving in the right direction. They've got a lot of quality. So the fact that they're unbeaten is maybe no real surprise. From Tottenham's perspective, it's a newer project. You can't stylistically go more extreme than Conte ball to Postacoglu ball. And then when you consider that under Antonio Conte, it was obvious he was leaving for quite some time. He was unhappy with Tottenham, their strategy. Add to that the fact that Fabio Paratici was banned from football and Tottenham entered into this period of limbo where at one point they had Scott Munn who hadn't started. They had no sporting director. They had no manager. They had no direction. They were an entirely rudderless ship. And then Ange Postacoglu comes in It's common knowledge that he wasn't the first choice. And suddenly out of nowhere, he's been able to create unity. And I think that in some respects, it reminds me bizarrely, and there's a very strange thing to say, James, and I'll get your response to it. But it reminds me weirdly of Steve Bruce, Newcastle and Mike Ashley, (laughs) only because sometimes you can have such doom and gloom under one manager and structure that when you replace it, Regardless of who comes in, everyone just breathes a sigh of relief. Everyone gets a blank slate. Everyone gets a second chance. And I think that that's aided Postacoglu. So even though Spurs and Arsenal are very different projects, they find themselves pretty much in the same position, one and two in the table. And at the moment, anyway, challenging for the Premier League. I like that. I hadn't hadn't thought of it in terms of Eddie Howe. I'll be frank and say I I actually find, find more similarities, at least in terms of atmosphere, with the very early days of Unai Emery at Arsenal and um, how Ange Postacoglu is, is faring now, which is that they feel a little bit out over their skis. You know, as you were saying there, Ben, this isn't really a team that looks like uh, a team that's playing unbeaten football through 10, 10 games of the season. Of course, they have had superb moments, um, but they've also had some some quite dramatic late winners against Sheffield United. And, you know, if you need until the 98th minute to beat Sheffield United, in general, that's not like something that makes me think team that could go and do a 38-game unbeaten run. So, but then the exuberance, the getting carried away with it, kind of like Arsenal fans did when Emery took over and within half a dozen games they were chanting, we've got our Arsenal back. The exuberance is kind of the point more so with Tottenham, I think, than any club over the last five or six years, there has been this sort of obsession with being seen to be a big club. Spurs are a big club, but they they sort of do the things that you do when you have status anxiety. They buy a flash car to take into work. I mean, that's, they don't, they all have flash cars. They're footballers. Um, But, you know, Jose Mourinho, (laughs) Antonio Conte, you, you could view in that fashion, or it's sort of like getting maybe a better example Again, doesn't quite work because these aren't 20 year olds, but it's, you know, a middle aged man getting a much younger girlfriend who's not really there because she's invested in him. It's place to be, place to place to make some money. And Conte, Mourinho, 
both felt like they were doing a favour to Tottenham and that seeped through the atmosphere. You go to this cathedral, the best atmosphere, the best venue in football, maybe even just in the UK. Um, and it was just he- hellishly dull uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And, and I was there for the first uh, big win, the win against Manchester United that's looking ever less impressive by the week. And <laughs> people were just having fun. And almost everything else doesn't necessarily matter that much in football. If when you go to the ground, you pay an awful lot for a ticket at, you really enjoy yourself for 90 minutes. And for me, that you know, that that's where Spurs are. Fun project, probably now very well placed to to achieve more than they expected at the start of the season. But come on, not title winners, not at all. No, I don't think so. And I don't think they'd expect to be. But I, I think they have stumbled on something that is ultimately so refreshing uh, that it will work uh, and probably work beyond all expectations. I, I think when you've got a list of five other top class managers who haven't taken the job and then Ange Postacoglu gets the gig and everyone thinks you know he's a laughing stock when clearly he's a incredibly talented coach and man manager you're not expecting anything are you and even though his record actually has been pretty good maybe it's the actual antithesis and the 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 the, the laid back way with which he approaches everything and that slightly sardonic australian um chilled way was it was exactly what you needed and actually they've they've sort of fallen on their feet because of that um and it was everything that that was needed to refresh a club that that needed invigoration having been browbeaten by boring football for so long can I just make one quick point, though, which is what you've both basically said is that Postacoglu's come in, he's been a breath of fresh air, Spurs are fun to watch, but you're pessimistic that they can win the Premier League. Remember, good teams with strong momentum and goal scorers can drive themselves. And if is a surprise choice, Claudio Ranieri was a surprise choice. Leicester won the Premier mm. League. Leicester had two key players with output in that season. Of course, they had N'Golo Kante, Danny Drinkwater, who's recently retired in the last 24 hours. But two key players, Riyad Mahrez, Jamie Vardy, partnership, assists, goals, autopilot. Ranieri derided, then Premier League winner. Ange Postacoglu, nobody's first choice, supposedly, winning everybody over with a charm offensive in the media. Tottenham, two players with output at the moment in Son, and James Madison, what's potentially the difference between Leicester in 15-16, James, and Spurs this campaign? Uh, if you looked at the statistical profile at this stage of the season, you could have convinced yourself Leicester might have actually, you know, it was the players weren't sexy, but actually it was title winning football, um, if I remember correctly. It's, it's kind of going back in the archives a bit. Right now, I look at Tottenham and I sort of see a, a, a team that sort of, Statistically, in terms of XG, in terms of chances that they're giving up and chances that they're creating, they look like a top six team. Uh, they have obviously accrued the points that mean that, that maybe some of the other teams that like have those similar stats, a team like Chelsea, just have so much ground to make up that it Spurs have placed themselves really well that if they just stay at this pace, they will be a, a top top four team. And, and I think they will be quite or, or, well them, Newcastle, Liverpool are going to be battling out. And frankly, I think Arsenal will as well. But 
you can't be as sort of vulnerable as they are defensively. And Ben, I need not remind you how special that Wes Morgan, Robert Huth centre-back pairing with Kante in front of them was by the end of the season in terms of keeping chances down. So Spurs will create a lot of goals, um, score a lot, concede a lot. And that might, sometimes you can win a title that way, but not that often and not with Man City in the same division as you. Um I, I wouldn't want to say I look forward to being proven wrong in that in that case, but I certainly think it, it just you don't win Premier League titles giving up 1.3 expected goals a game. And we saw that last season with Arsenal, and, who were doing much the same. Yeah, and could we also be quite boring and, and see who they've played this season? That, you know, you've played most of the bottom half of the table, that it's Luton, Fulham, um, Burnley... Bournemouth, Sheffield United. Um, that's sort of, I would dare say, games that you're expected to win if you're going to be in the in the top four. And, and it just so happens you've picked up a lot of points against those pretty mediocre clubs uh, so far this season. I mean, they beat Absolutely. Manchester United. They drew with Arsenal. They Yeah, but as James said, they just named one pretty United. mediocre club. <laughs> Yes, exactly. In the bottom half of the table, nearly. Um, okay, we will return to this um, subject. Um, but the, the, I'm talking Spurs. Let's talk about Arsenal, though, James, which is uh, nearer to your heart and probably to your home. Um, so, so that that how have they? Uh, and and do you think they have improved on last season when it was a case of oh so nearly? I'm I'm not certain they've improved on last season. I'm more confident that they haven't taken a step back in some of the tactical tweaks Mikel Arteta has done. What they have become, and this goes back to what I was saying about Tottenham, is they've become a much better defensive team. Part of that is William Saliba is fit, and this player is establishing himself as one of the best centre-backs in the league. I don't think that's up for debate, even at his young age. And there's a little more caution in the way they play. It's a little less swashbuckling. Of course, we don't fully know the extent because they can't get Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Martinelli and Bakayo Saka on the pitch week in, week out. But Arsenal, I think, have sacrificed a little bit of the verve, the the daring do, to just make sure that every time they go forward, the, the, the gate behind them is locked. Declan Rice has added immensely to that. You've seen already great seasons from Saliba, as I mentioned. Gabriel, it was fantastic for them that they managed to hold off the Saudi Arabian interest in him. Um, and that is obviously, that that is what was wrong with Arsenal last season. In the end, it came down to they just gave up too many goals from Christmas and the World Cup onwards. So that's been fixed. The question is whether Arteta has struck the right balance just yet. And the answer to that is I don't know. Um, it's it's good for them to sort of be up on the little teams, the Bournemouths and the Sheffield United, as you would expect them to. There's been a lot of penalties uh, and that puts some air in their numbers and uncertainty. But they look okay. They look as good as they did last season. <laughs> I think we were talking, obviously, we, you can't help but kind of look at that City performance yesterday and think, does it actually mean anything being as good as you were last season? But... I, I, they feel more. They feel more stable, and I think that's a, a, a big plus for them because if you can get Jesus Martinelli and Saka on the pitch, 
you'll score goals, that's for sure. Okay, we will are talking about uh, North London at the moment and the success story that is Spurs and Arsenal and whether they can remain uh, unbelievably unbeatable. It seems it seems unlikely, but we will return to this uh, topic. But we have caught up with the transfer guru himself, Fabrizio Romano, with some very important news coming out of North London in the red and the white. And we spoke to him a little bit earlier. Fabrizio, thanks again for joining us. Uh, let's start on the Arsenal front. Eddie and Ketia scoring a hat trick for Arsenal at the weekend. Now, is there a possibility of a January exit for him as he looks for more first-team football? No, I think no. I don't have these indications, honestly. I think he's going to stay at Arsenal at least till the end of the season, but he's playing a lot. I think Arteta, as he mentioned after the game, he had nine Premier League games this season at Arsenal, and this is a good number. Also, the player is always has always been very happy with Arsenal as a club, how they trusted him instead of following Balogun. Uh, we should remember that Balogun was there and Arsenal decided to trust Edin Ketia, despite Balogun scoring a lot of goals in Ligue 1 last season. So they really wanted him to stay. They really wanted him to be an important part of the project. They extended his contract uh, months ago. So the idea has always been to trust uh, Edin Ketia. And at the moment, I have no indications of him leaving the club in January. I think he's going to stay 100% at least till the end of the season. They may look for a, another strike to, striker to bolster uh, their front line. Would Ivan Tony come into conversation? Antonio is really appreciated by Arsenal, that's for sure. People at the club really appreciate him. Uh, same at Chelsea. So I think the race is absolutely open there. Nothing has been decided yet. It's still a very open situation also in case other clubs want to join the race and make a bid. At the moment, nothing is agreed with the player or with or with Brentford. So I would keep the situation open. But for sure, he's appreciated by people at Arsenal. Um, an important point is to see how it's going to be the situation of Arsenal in December. So I think how they will complete their Champions League group, how it's going to be the situation in the Champions League in the Premier League table. So at the moment, they've made no decision yet in terms of what do we need to do in the January window. They are discussing internally as always. But at the moment is not guaranteed that they will go there and spend big money on Ivan Tony also because from what I'm hearing at least has to be something close to 65 million pounds for Ivan Tony in a January window and so at the moment Arsenal want to take their time before deciding okay this is the player we need in this moment also because Nketiah is scoring goals Gabriel Jesus when he's fit he's always making the difference and so they still have to decide what they want to do in the January window. One of those names that they may be discussing I presume will be Ben White will he be offered a new contract? Yes Yes, the new contract talks are ongoing. Um, ben White is very happy at Arsenal. Arsenal are super happy with him. He's a super professional guy. He can help in different positions, can play centre-back, right-back. He's always there and also uh, playing very well also with the national team. So they're very happy with Ben White in general. The idea is to try to extend this contract. This is what Arsenal are doing. In the last year, they extended something like six, seven contracts of really important players and the modern football, these contract extensions for top players are like new signings because sometimes it could become dangerous to have these players uh, with short-term contracts. So the new deal of Ben White will be discussed in the next weeks. There is already a uh, principle of discussion, but still nothing agreed. So they will keep going, but the positive feeling is there. It's the same situation as Odegaard, Saka and many others. The player wants to stay and the club wants him to stay. Fabrizio, let's move on to Spurs. A lot of talk about them signing a striker as well in 2024, even though Son is in excellent form, as is James Madison as well. Santi Jimenez is one name on fire for Feyenoord that has been linked with Spurs in the past. What can you tell us about his future? 
I think it's going to be an interesting situation for, for Santi Jimenez. About uh, Tottenham, we heard some stories, Tottenham, Real Madrid, in the recent weeks, some, from some intermediary mentioning that they were negotiating, but as the player himself clarified, only his father is taking care of his future. So there are no agents, no intermediaries. The only person taking care of his future is his father. So at the moment, there is absolutely nothing decided in terms of new club. What we can say is that for sure, from what I'm hearing, Tottenham appreciate the player. Tottenham have sent their scouts to, to follow him recently. Also last season at Feyenoord, they were scouting the situation at Feyenoord because they really appreciated the manager. Arnes Lott was in the running to become the new Tottenham manager. Then they decided to go for Ange Postecoglou, but Arnes Lott was one of the names. They were keeping an eye on Feyenoord doing very well last season. And they also saw the excellent skills of, of Santi Jimenez. So for sure, Tottenham are keeping an eye on the player. But there are many clubs interested in him. At the moment, still not even a negotiation. So it's too early to say, OK, he's going there. But we can say that he's a player they are, they are monitoring, they are following. I think something around 45, 50 million euros should be the, the price tag for uh, Santi Jimenez. This is my opinion, not a decision from the club yet. So we have to see what Feyenoord will decide. But sources into the industry believe that something around 45 million euros could be enough to, to sign the Mexican striker. And we know that Spurs have looked at Conor Gallagher in the past, but they chose not to proceed towards the end of the last window. Do you sense he might be available in January or could a new Chelsea deal be on the table? I'm not sure that it's going to be part of the January window. I feel Chelsea want to have some stability, especially in the midfield where they have important players like Gallagher, Caicedo and Soso at the moment. I think Chelsea will focus on different priorities in the January window. We know the striker, with let's see, with the centre-back. But at the moment in the midfield, the situation is quiet. So for Gallagher, I am not sure that it's going to be part of the January window in terms of uh, a Chelsea exit. Then for the new deal, the discussions have not uh, are not in advanced stages yet so it will take some time they will discuss but Chelsea are happy with him Pochettino is happy with him he's happy with his game time so I think this is something to check again maybe in December in January but at the moment the situation is is really quite there and also Tottenham are not active in terms of negotiation with Conor Gallagher as of now. Fabrizio you talk about a striker there and clearly if you look at Chelsea over the weekend they're in desperate need they're either uh, not functioning as strikers or they're injured. They need another one. Now, is someone of the calibre of Victor Osiman one of those players that Chelsea are really looking at for January? Because, as we know, he's not signed a new contract at Napoli. Yes, but I think in January it's going to be very difficult to sign Victor Osiman. I can't say impossible because impossible is nothing in football but really close to impossible. For Napoli, he's a crucial player. Napoli president De Laurentiis is not scared to arrive to the summer transfer window and maybe uh, sell the player in case they can't agree a new contract in the summer transfer window. As he mentioned in the last interview he had, he did the same with Khalidou Koulibaly. Khalidou Koulibaly was always in the rumour and then they decided to sell him to Chelsea in that case uh, one year before the end of the of the contract. So they're not scared about that. And I think Napoli will do their best to keep the player at the club. He's a really crucial player for them. It's not an easy season for Napoli. After winning the title, they're struggling in the Serie A, but they're still hoping to do important things in Italy and in Europe. So I think Napoli will make that really difficult. Only a crazy, completely crazy bid could change the story. But at the moment, Napoli are really not intention to mention the price, to mention a price for, for Victor Osimhen. So, you know, when you don't even have a price to go there, negotiate and be creative... I think it's going to be more than difficult. Can we turn our attention to Manchester United after they were humiliated in the in the derby yesterday? What's the future for Ten Hag? Look, at the moment, I have no update at all. From what I'm told, the situation has not changed in Manchester United. They are still supporting the manager, protecting the manager, trusting the manager for present and future. So 
nothing has changed. Of course, it's not an easy moment. But I also think, this is my personal opinion, it's too easy to blame always the manager, the manager, the manager. Sometimes we have to see what's going on off the pitch because when a top club like Manchester United, the situation is still not clear about the ownership and it's almost one year with all the rumours, with all the stories. We know about Sergeant Ratcliffe, the 25% minority stake. We had the stories on Sheikh Jassim. This is making life complicated at Manchester United for people in the board, for the players, for the manager, for the coaching staff. Too many problems. So at the moment, I think they know that the problem is not the manager. That, of course, Eric Hag can do better than this. He has to, and he knows that. So they are going to work hard for that. But at the moment, I'm not aware of Eric Hag being under pressure at Manchester United. He's still working at the best level for Man, for Man United, for his players. The situation has to change, for sure. But also off the pitch, that point is absolutely crucial to change Manchester United future. Fabrizio, it's the Ballon d'Or this evening. Will it be number eight? For Messi? Yes, yes, it will, it will. Messi will be the winner, there are no doubts. Everything is, uh, is ready, Messi is already in Paris to get the Ballon d'Or. So an historical night for, uh, for him and for the award because to see the Ballon d'Or in Messi's hands for eight times is something really special. So yes, Messi is going to be the winner. It was a tough competition from Erling Haaland because they've been head-to-head to win this award for a long time. But Messi is going to be the winner after the great World Cup he had. And so we wait for the official announcement, but it's a matter of hours. <laughs> and do we expect Jude Bellingham to, to be picking up a, an award after what has been a phenomenal start and uh, the weekend winning the Classico? Yeah, also in this case was a tough one because Jamal Musiala did also fantastic at Bayern. He won the Bundesliga last season with that last-minute goal and made a difference in the competition with Jude Bellingham's Borussia Dortmund. So it was a tough one. But yes, from what I'm hearing, Jude Bellingham is expected to be the winner of the Copa Trophy as the best talent. And so that's the indication. Jude Bellingham is also travelling to Paris from Madrid today to be at the award. And so we expect them, Messi and uh, Bellingham, to be winners tonight in Paris. And maybe Bellingham next year just picks up the Ballon d'Or as he, as he gets better and better. Yeah, it's doing fantastic, but still a long way to go. Uh, we have to remember, I think it's becoming normal, but how many goals Erling Haaland is scoring in Champions League, in, in Premier League, we are used to that. So he scores a brace in a derby and it looks like normal, but this is not normal <laughs> at all. So I think Erling Haaland will be there. Brilliant. Fabrizio, as ever, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you as always. Fabrizio Romano, who joined us uh, a little bit earlier. Ben, one person we didn't bring up with Fabrizio, although we have done in the past, is uh, goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale at at, uh, Arsenal and whether he will be looking for another club in January. Clearly, he is no longer the number one um, at Arsenal and presumably when you're that age and probably that talented, you don't want to be fighting for a place that it doesn't look like you're going to be able to get back and whether he'll be looking for a new club in January. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, especially in light of the weekend, because Mikel Arteta made a number of changes. Emil Smith-Rowe played in his first start since May, and at the same time, Eddie Nketiah got game time, Jakob Kirill played, and yet David Raya was the goalkeeper. And for me, if I'm Ramsdale, that underlies something that, He's known for a while, which is, even if Arteta says repeatedly, there's healthy competition, there's a clear number one at Arsenal, and it's not Aaron Ramsdale. 
Now, as far as January is concerned, and I'll be interested to get James's thoughts on this, I still think it's going to be quite difficult for any clubs. We hear a lot about Chelsea, and of course, they're discussing these players internally like Ramsdale, but Robert Sanchez is seen as the number one goalkeeper there. And Arsenal will not want to lose a player like Ramsdale, who's a very positive influence even when he's not playing midway through the season. So, of course, there'll be rumour of course, there'll be interest. Of course, there'll be inquiries. But I think Arsenal will still probably do everything they possibly can to hang on to Ramsdale. And they may need him in the rest of the season, even if Raya is the number one at the moment. So it's an intriguing one for January. I know that some people will also mention England. And yes, if Ramsdale plays, he stands a better opportunity of challenging Jordan Pickford. But my feeling is Pickford's the number one anyway. So even if Ramsdale was starting every single week for Arsenal, I still think that he doesn't start at Euro 2024 if Jordan Pickford is fit. That's only my personal opinion. But I don't think Ramsdale leaving in January will significantly improve his chances of being the number one at the Euros, which might mean that he prefers to see out the entire season and see how things go. So, James, it's a very interesting dynamic. I think that Ramsdale has been very positive and credit to him for how he's dealt with the situation so far. You see him cheering on every save. And by all accounts on that training field, he's a very likable character and positive influence at the football club. But he's not going to want to stay at Arsenal indefinitely, feeling like he's not going to play. So how do you see this one panning out in 2024? Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose there's a few angles to look at this from. From an Arsenal perspective, they do not want to lose Ramsdale midway through the season. They've been very clear about that. And, you know, they they do well re- remember what happened last season. At any time Aaron Ramsdale tweaked his leg or whatever, kicking a ball or he needed treatment, you know, there was a, a little nervous intake of breath at the Emirates Stadium as they awaited the potential introduction of Matt Turner, a good goalkeeper. But when you want to play the football that Arsenal do at the level they do, there there aren't many goalkeepers out there and if Ramsdale were to go in January or in the summer, he would, he would need replacing and he'd need replacing with a goalkeeper. Who's a good shot stopper and very confident with the ball at his feet from Ramsdale's perspective. Like like you said, Ben, everything I hear is he has been exceptional as ever, as he always is on the training ground. You know, that is why he's a popular figure within the squad, within the club, within the fan base. He has gone, he's responded to this challenge in the right way. I, I think we also have to understand that Aaron Ramsdale knows how good he is. He he had no doubts when Arsenal came knocking, even as everyone else did. And when we talk about January, the question he'll be asking is, well, what are the options? If it's a mid-table Premier League club that come calling, my suspicion is, from what I've heard, that I don't think that would be a, a move that Ramsdale would push for in January if he believes that a vacancy could open up in the summer, whether that isn't, as you've said, you know, everyone thinks that Chelsea are a real contender for Ramsdale. Robert Sanchez looks good, but not necessarily great. Um, is that abroad? I don't think that going to a Bayern Munich or a, a a club of that stature would hold any fear for Ramsdale. If that's what he, if that's what the options were, what he won't want to do is sort of take a step down and end up sort of trapped in this Premier League purgatory where he's very valuable 
very mid-table Premier League team who can afford to not sell him. And But he's not going to play Champions League football. He's not going to get to prove to Gareth Southgate that he should be England's number one, not Jordan Pickford. So I don't believe that Ramsdale would rush into a move in January unless a top team where he can fulfil his long-term career aspirations came came calling. And those moves, especially for goalkeepers, they tend not to materialise in January, do they? No. No, absolutely. And look, if he, if he's not playing, how how much will Gareth Southgate even look at him? You talk about number one, Ben. You you wonder about number two or number three, and you and you wonder. And he's very loyal, Gareth Southgate, but whether he'd even been considered if he's not getting any football at all um, in North London. Anyway, that, that's sort of by the by. Um, Ben, I'd ask you a question on on Spurs and how long you think this. I mean, it is a honeymoon at the moment, and the great Australian honeymoon continues. It's just you wonder, um, and we've looked at the fixture list, for how long it can go on before the bubble bursts and and Ange is, is tested in a way that he hasn't been tested so far. Yeah, I think we learn a lot about Spurs just before the festive fixtures come in because across their next few games, they've got... Chelsea, they'll be favourites to win that. So in many ways, that's a test because you've got to assume the mantle of being expected to be a side that on paper are strong. And if they fail to do so in that London derby, then that will tell us a lot about Tottenham. And I think that Chelsea have almost got, I don't want to say nothing to lose in that game. It's a strange thing to say about Chelsea, but they're underdogs. And as we saw against Arsenal, when Chelsea played very well, they relished that opportunity when they were underdogs and people maybe expected them to lose. So they'll go to Tottenham with no fear. And that's a good indicator. And then across later November into early December, Tottenham have still got to play Aston Villa at home. They've got away at Manchester City. They've got another London derby against West Ham. And then they've got a home game against Newcastle before the kind of festive fixtures start. So if they get, like Leicester did, around December to that kind of period, and they're either still unbeaten or they're still top of the table, then you start saying, well, we're quite close to halfway through the season. Maybe, just maybe, they are genuine Premier League contenders. But if they draw or lose to Chelsea and then Aston Villa, a bit like Spurs, score a ton of goals, concede quite a few goals, that's an interesting one. If they obviously go to Manchester City and lose, people start saying now it's a lot tighter. Now maybe they're only challenging for Champions League football at best. So I think we're going to get a much clearer picture about Tottenham between now and just before the festive fixtures begin. Yeah, and you look towards the end of the season, they get three in a row of, they play Man City, Arsenal and Liverpool um, back to back, which could be um, a quite an interesting climax to the season. I mean, James, for you, um, it's more likely that Arsenal would continue in, in similar vein. Bearing in mind, you look at who they've played and they've, they have had some more difficult games. Yes, I, th- I think so. There are heavy demands on their their legs, and it's interesting when when Ben goes through that that fixture list how quickly Spurs find themselves in in mid December from a games perspective, whereas mm. Arsenal be- just solely because they lost away to Lons in an okay performance, you know they have hard work in the Champions League. They've got a uh, they've got a, a Carabao Cup game this week that they could still find themselves involved in that. And as much as Ben rightly noted at the top of the show. This is a deeper squad. It's one that can feel the impact of uh, the injuries that they already have. Partey out for a while, Jesus out for a while. So 
I, I think they could still be vulnerable in this in this period. And I certainly don't look at them and think this is a team that could go right the way through the season undefeated. But they will feel like they have dealt with some really tough tests against Spurs, United, and especially against City. Um, I think that game could be a... If, we, if Arsenal do achieve great things this season, it will... Um, we will look back on that City moment game as, as the moment things changed for them. Um, they certainly have this penchant for late winners that they seem to carry with them everywhere they go. Um, so whilst I still think you have to look at them as as a member of the chasing pack with Liverpool, maybe with Tottenham, um, there is certainly, I think, you, you would be surprised if they're not still in the mix sometime after Christmas based on the way they're playing. Yeah, and... and- and let's see where they are. Obviously, the group stages of the Champions League, and it seems to be what Fabrizio was saying. We'll take stock in December of where we are as to what business we do in January. Do you get that as the sense coming out of uh, the Emirates that that's where Arsenal will be come January the first? Absolutely, I think you can see from the deal they did for David Raya, a loan deal rather than paying a good price for a starting goalkeeper, that. Money is a consideration. I think they are not, they're not poor, they're not penuried, but they have to work out how to spend the money they have very wisely. So last January, a player like Mudrick was one they thought they could have for 10 years as a key cog in their side. Um, they made some tactical decisions elsewhere to, to strengthen for the title run. And if that sort of player becomes available, you'd expect them to push for it. But there will be those sort of two streams of, you know, do we, can we get a forward who gives us three, four goals that might make all the difference? But if not, there's no point in in spending silly money now when we could wait for the summer and, and go big for the centre forward that I think we all expect them to, to to go at in in the summer. So I think it will be relatively quiet at Arsenal unless something dramatic shake, shakes loose. Similar question up at Tottenham Hotspur, uh, Ben, whether there'll be big incomings during... January to reinforce what might be at the very least a Champions League push or at the best uh, a title push. Yeah, I do wonder whether Spurs will pivot in January if they feel like they're in the mix for the Premier League then, or as you say, to consolidate Champions League. They feel like they've got this depth and this momentum, but if James Madison, for example, got injured, I think we'd see an entirely different Tottenham team and there's pressure that he's relishing on Son at the moment who's kind of assumed the Harry Kane role but again if his goals dry up even a fraction you start looking at Richarlison or Brennan Johnson to weigh in and that's where maybe one more creative minded player might be quite important to Tottenham in January I can see them going for a box-to-box midfielder capable of playing a disciplined role in central midfield but also breaking forwards and scoring. And that's where, for example, with Arsenal, Martin Odegaard has been very important and Declan Rice may come into that role as well because he's improving over time all of his attack-minded stats. So we know that Tottenham did at least look at Conor Gallagher, but they didn't like the price. But that kind of profile might be something that Tottenham explore. I don't think they're in a rush to in inverted commas, replace Harry Kane because Son has moved into that more advanced role. But we might see in 2024 more movement, but January 
unless they choose to, for example, enter an escalated race for Ivan Tony, there's no reason why Spurs can't wait until the end of the season. If they desperately wanted a Kane replacement, I think last summer they might have moved for a player like Jonathan David, who was certainly on their radar, but they decided against it and we'll see a more patient approach. But remember with Spurs, you've got Johan Langer, who's come in, and starts officially on November the 1st as technical director. You've got Scott Munn, who's only just started. You've got Ange Postacoglu, who's new as well. So a lot of these key figures in conversations for recruitment are brand new at the club. They couldn't influence the summer window. Maybe they want to have a say in January. And that's why I think that Spurs could be a bit busier than Arsenal. But I think that there's no panic, certainly not to replace Kane, and if I was to sort of wager where they might strengthen, therefore, I would think it would be less about a traditional forward unless they have to move in January because of how other clubs move. We might see that with Arsenal and Ivan Tony if Chelsea choose to move in January. But I think that if they're not forced to enter into a race for a player, which is a very unspurs-like thing to do to get sucked into a bidding war, it's going to be more that creative-minded box-to-box midfielder that I think they may look to strengthen in January. Okay, as we wrap up then, uh, let's put you on the spot. James, for you, where do Arsenal finish? Um, second or third. At the moment, I would sort of shade towards second in a battle with Liverpool. Um, you want Tottenham as well? Yeah, go on. I suspect you do. <laughs> I I think they have... I, I think Newcastle are a better team, um, uh, but I think Tottenham have probably built enough daylight that Tottenham will be in the top four. Um, fourth, probably. Um, okay. I mean, that's the joy of this good start, isn't it? You, you've got a lot you've of room ever- for uh, struggles. You have. Ben, same question to you then. I think that Arsenal will finish second and I think that Tottenham will finish third, which might sound like a really boring prediction and then Liverpool in the top four. Manchester City winning the Premier League. You only have to look at them at the Manchester Derby to leap to that conclusion. But we knew this before a ball was kicked that Manchester City are still heavy favourites. But I think what makes my prediction less boring is that I actually think Man City, Tottenham and Arsenal will all end up within five points of each other. And I think that we will not know who the Premier League winner is. It will be in each of those teams' control to some extent all the way through to the end of April. So I think that after about, let's say, 34, 35 games, we still won't know categorically. And in the same way that Arsenal closed the gap on Manchester City last season, I think that they'll be right there toe-to-toe until the end. And then I think that Tottenham will close the gap on Arsenal and Manchester City. Now, whether or not that's a one-off, whether that's a Postacoglu boost that will then come with a step backwards the following season, that remains to be seen. And that's where Arsenal's project is a little bit more stable. But I think that Man City will win it. But when you go to that points tally, don't be surprised if it's really, really tight right up until the close of the season. Well, I think what I'm going to say in in closing is that Tottenham will decide who wins the Premier League title because they will be playing Man City, Arsenal and Liverpool in successive weekends. And they could have, therefore, the deciding push on on who, who gets to the top of the table and stays there and who eventually wins it. So that that is my view. But unfortunately for Spurs fans, 
that doesn't mean you. I don't think you're going to win the title. And I think fourth. You, I think you'd be very happy if you ended fourth. And you've got uh, what nine points? I think now between uh, between you and, and Newcastle, who are sixth. Mm-hmm. Will Villa stay there? I mean, they're only four points off the top. But can Villa cont- um, continue their push? I think you know we've not even mentioned them, but perhaps we just we rule them out and don't think they will quite make it. But who's to say whether they'll have a say in it as well? Um, but yes, I, I would go along with you that, that it's a Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, probably one, two, three with Spurs in fourth place. We shall see. And no doubt we will return to this subject. And if in maybe four or five weeks time that we still have the top two of Tottenham and Arsenal in whichever order, then we might we might be eating our words. But that's uh, that's for a fit. You might be eating your words. I think I've been a bit more pro Spurs than both of you. Yeah, but you haven't got them winning the title, though, have you? Third is a good finish. <laughs> okay, fourth's not bad either. But... <laughs> so there's still that you've still got Champions League football. I want to anyway, sit on to the fence, both... actually. Can I just say I want to sit on the Go fence on. a bit more because April the 27th, as you allude to, is that North London derby. And if, oh, as I gosh. predict, the title will still be winnable for both those sides, then I can just wait until that game and then make a decision in April. <laughs> I'd like to remind you at this stage that you said Chelsea would have 80 points this season, but I think you were just being a little <laughs> bit contentious. <laughs> and 80 goals. And um, yeah, they they could do with eight goals actually probably this season. <laughs> anyway, enough is enough. Gents, thank you very much. James Bench, thank you. And uh, Ben Jacobs, as ever. Join us every week here on The Debrief. Fabrizio Romano is with us, as you know, week in, week out. We are here and we'll see you next week.